put him through the DUI test and uh, go to arrest him, get one cuff on, and the fight is on. And we're rolling around, and I've got one cuff on, and uh, we're wrestling around, and I dislocate my shoulder. I don't know it, but all of a sudden, I'm not doing real well in this fight. I'm losing it. And uh, so we're rolling around pretty quick. I feel my gun come out of my holster and cock and feel it poking me in the back. And he says, you know what that is? I go, yeah. All right, so this next this next guy uh, I worked with, he hired me, and it was pretty cool to be able to go back and talk to him about his early days as a police officer. He's doesn't mind making fun of himself and you know telling telling stories about how he learned the hard way, and he definitely has got a couple of those. Um, what do you think? I mean, you weren't there. Like Tristan and I did this interview. You weren't there. What do you think? I wasn't there, but I edited it. So it was pretty entertaining for me because I had no idea what was about to come next around the corner. He got his gun taken away from somebody he pulled over at a traffic stop. And it was it was pretty entertaining to listen to for me. Yeah, so the... Our interview with him was probably like ah, two and a half hours maybe, but the first portion of it was interrupted because of some, they were trimming some branches or something on the side of the road. We were like outside because we did this during COVID. And so we went on his boat into the middle of the lake, but we stopped the recording. And unfortunately, the second half of the recording didn't uh, make it. And so... I hope he's ready to do it again because, I mean, he has some great, great stories. Turn around to R. Two Adam 21, two Adam 22, two Adam 11, and two Adam 12 regarding a gunshot wound victim at 333 North 58th Street. 333 North 58th Street. Shots fired in the cafeteria at Thurston High School. I'm being at 28, you know, I, I probably a, a good story to start with is uh, <clears throat> working graveyard patrol, six in the morning. You know, you're going to get off in about an hour, and it's just getting daylight, <clears throat> and a call comes in about an a- attempted theft of gas. So I drive out there, just a, a nothing call. Some guy's out there waiting for me, standing next to his motorhome, and. Uh, there's a, a hose sticking out of a gas tank in the motorhome. There's a can of gas on the ground, and there's a big puddle of puke. And uh, so I'm looking at this stuff, and I said, what do you think happened? He goes, well, as near as I can tell, that guy thought he stuck his, his hose into my gas gas receptacle, which... It does appear that's the case, he says, but what I did is because I, tr- I like to camp for a long time and, and travel, I don't travel very far, is I took out the set, I had two gas tanks and I replaced it with a sewage tank. So what that guy stuck his hose down into was my sewage line oh, God. and he, he obviously <laughs> sucked it up and sucked a big mouthful of shit. 
that's and, disgusting. And that was the the big puddle of puke on the ground. And obviously the guy had left everything and just run off into the night. And uh, he was never seen or heard from again or caught. But it sure made sure made my day. And uh, it kind of made me think that God had a sense of humor. Then <laughs> uh, what's another? And then. Uh, Another deal is one of the guys, he had, he'd stopped a, a black guy. This is back in the 80s. He stopped him up at, up at a mall area, and he was out there by himself. And, and uh, he got the guy's identification and ran him. And, of course, he came back with a warrant. And the, the warrant was for theft and it was what they call a show cause warrant, which means you, like you're on probation and you violate your probation, you get picked up on a, a warrant and you have to show cause to the judge as to why you shouldn't be violated and sent back to jail. So they indicate that this guy's got a warrant. And so I drive up there to cover him <clears throat> and he's talking to him and about the time I get there and get out and get in position to help him if the guy tries to fight or run, he tells the guy, um, you've you've got a a warrant for theft show cause and the guy goes what that that can't be right and he goes well that's what it says he and he, he so he puts him in handcuffs and the guy says you're you're making a you're making a big mistake here officer he says i i've done lots of things in my life and i've even stolen some stuff but I ain't never stole no show cause. <laughs> when did you, how long did you work down south? Um, well, I was, a. I started at the, the bottom of the, the food chain at, at a police department just in San Diego County. And I started as a cadet a volunteer. I was 18 years old and I worked my way into a, a paid internship, and then a, a, what they call a police services no, no. aide, which would be kind of like a community service officer now. And uh, I did that for three years, and then I was hired full-time as a regular cop and worked for three years before I moved to Oregon. So, um, you know, during that time, and this this was back in the, the early, mid-70s, and uh, something that, that we did then that nobody in their right mind would do now but we had a, a lieutenant that we worked for, and he had a, a great deal of confidence in some of us young guys. We, we weren't even real cops yet. We were interns and cadets and stuff. And we had assignments working back in detectives. We, we had paid jobs. I think we got like $1.65 an hour or something. But we were just supposed to be kind of helpers. But the way the laws were written, it, and this guy was really bright, and and he was willing to to gamble with people that he believed in and he trusted. So in California back then, I think it's the same way now. You didn't arrest juveniles; you took them into protective custody. And so he, there were three of us back there, and he assigned two of the guys. They were going to work juvenile cases, stuff that normally would have just been suspended, thrown in a pile, nobody would ever work them. Uh, he gave them to two of the guys, and they had badges, 
and handcuffs, but no guns. And they would just go out and uh, arrest these kids, or no, take them into protective custody. <laughs> <laughs> and we would, and and we would rotate back and forth who would work with who on any given time. And and we had a car and the whole bit. And we just knocked it out of the park on property crimes, bike thefts, minor thefts, stuff that burglaries. And uh, we got to actually be pretty good at it. And this guy, he he had so much faith in us. And uh, he, we ended up all being hired at the same time on the police department, the same, same hiring group. And uh, prior to getting hired, I had gotten a subpoena to go to court, and I'd never been to court in my life. And uh, he heard that I was that I'd been subpoenaed to court, so he called me in his office. He says, "Hey, I heard you're going to court." And I go, "Yeah." He goes, uh, "Have you ever been there?" And I go, "No." He goes, "You got a suit?" And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "You nervous?" And I go, "Yeah." <laughs> he goes, "I don't know what what's going to happen." He says, "When's your court date?" I says, "Like you know, next Tuesday at ten, juvenile court." He goes, okay, I'll go with you. So this is the guy, lieutenant, in, in charge of a big piece of the department who's going to take time out of his day to go with an intern to court to, for, for moral support, basically. And uh, I tell you, that we never let that guy down. And we worked our butts off for him, and we tried to keep him out of trouble. And uh, he just kept feeding us line, and that was probably the biggest leap of faith that I'd ever seen in a police manager before or since. And, you know, in 35 years after that, but, uh, this guy was amazing. He ended up being a police, a chief of police himself and, uh, very innovative, very, uh, very good guy, kind of a, uh, somewhat of a legend. And, uh, he's retired now. I still stay in touch with him periodically, but he was a great guy. And then, um, when we all got hired, <clears throat> the, this, the three of us, we all got hired at the same time. And uh, part of the process was you had, you had to do your, your oral board panel. So we did that. And then we made it through that. And I had an interview with this guy. He was now a captain, the same guy I just described. <clears throat> and it was uh, the chief wasn't available that day. So he was doing the chief's interview. So I had an interview with him in the morning. And it went fine. And then he says, hey, do you still have that whoopee cushion? <laughs> I go, yeah, somewhere. He goes, can you get it to me before 1 o'clock? Because one of the other of us three were coming in for his final interview with him. He says, I want to use it. <laughs> so so I got him the whoopee cushion. And uh, he sat it under the guy's seat. The guy comes in. He's nervous as hell, too, just like we all were, even though you know we knew a lot of these people. But. It was still, it was a big career move for us. And my, my buddy, he plops down in the seat, and of course it does the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, the captain's looking at him and goes, Whoa, what was this all about? And, you know, you seem pretty relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just gives him a horrible time about it. And then at the end of the thing, he lets on that he'd gotten the whippy cushion for me. And uh, so I was waiting down the hall when he came out. <clears throat> And he comes out and he's kind of chuckling. He goes, I think we both passed because they could not do that to me without 
knowing that I was going to get a job. And he goes, and they're going to have to hire you too. <laughs> That's funny. So, so we did that, and off to the academy we went, and um, we we went through San Diego's academy, and this was uh, early, in like early '77. And they, as luck would have it, they had had a um, a class action lawsuit filed against San Diego PD by a number of uh, people who had worked there before and, and didn't make probation. And so we were part of a class that was, they, they called it the rehire class because um, they'd, they had to, to hire back a bunch of people they'd let go. So... Well, and some of them were great people and, and went on to become good cops. And there were some that you could see why why they didn't didn't make probation. So they were getting a second second role. And uh, so I was friends with some other guys. Of course, they broke up the three of us that had been hired together because we were part of a group of seven that got hired. And so there were a couple from from my department there. And so I made friends with some San Diego guys. And uh, one guy was a he had been a, a drill instructor in the Marines. So he was AJ squared away. Everything was polished. He knew everything. He, he would, he'd do the cadence count stuff when we would run and all this crap. And, uh, so we, we were, you know, young, young guys, you know, 21 to 25 thought we had the world by the horns. And, uh, we're dealing with some of these yahoos that had been rehired that hadn't really no business being there. And this academy we went through was 20 weeks long. And so you got to know everybody pretty darn well after that time. And I'd say about week 16, we were, we were ready to be done. And, and we were ready to be done with some of these, these guys that had been rehired. And so one morning we're sitting in class and uh, the advisor, class advisor, opens the door, points at me, gives me the come here finger. So I get up and walk out, and he's not saying anything. And, and we're walking down toward the administrative area. And I, I walk into the, uh, the lieutenant's office that's in charge of the academy or in charge of our, our training. And uh, he sits me down and, and says, uh, I understand uh, yeah, I've been looking at your record here and it looks like you're doing really well academically and you're kind of a leader among the, the, the students here. And it looks like you'll, you'll probably be, maybe be one hell of a cop someday. <laughs> so I'm thinking, hey, they pulled me out of class to compliment me. And then it changed. He says, the only thing is, is we're never going to find out if you're going to be one hell of a cop or not, unless you pass this academy and you're not going to pass this academy unless you change your attitude about some of your coworker students in there. It appears that you and a few other guys don't think very highly of some of these people. And I could just feel the blood draining out of my face and I could see my career flashing before my eyes that was going down the toilet in a big hurry. So I just... You know, the smile left my face, and I I was just just listening. And after that, it was yes or no, sir. And uh, so he says, you know, are, is this going to be a problem for you? And I said, absolutely not. Um, you, you'll never hear another word out of me. And uh, so he says, you're dismissed. And I went back to class, and 
I, I walked in the class and of course my, my two buddies are kind of looking at me to see if there's any, any visual hints. And I guess I'd look like I'd just been to the woodshed. <laughs> Cause you had been. <laughs> Cause I had been. <laughs> and, uh, so I just kind of gave him, a, and I kind of mouthed the uh, WTF thing to him very, very subtly. And uh, pretty soon, each of them got pulled out of class and, and yanked down there and had the same treatment. So the, the, three of, the three of us afterwards, like at lunchtime, when we all got together, it was like, wow, did you believe what happened? And then, so we were model students after that. <laughs> <laughs> we graduated. Everything was fine. We went on our way, and uh, but that that was a scary, scary time for us. And and then I I, I had a um, a situation. Probably probably my my big first scary one was uh, I, you know, we graduated academy in July, finished up my field training. I was probably turned loose around August. Oh, my first day of being turned loose was the day that Elvis Presley died. Oh my God, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> and and I was <laughs> I was working swing shift <laughs> and I had to go look for a 14-year-old distraught girl who had threatened to kill herself because she was so upset because Elvis had died. So I spent several hours looking for her and I found her and that that's why I remember that day. It was like my first first day of running loose. So a few months later, I'm uh, I'm still out on my own, and I, I've been assigned a graveyard shift, and I hit the ground running. Eleven o'clock, you know, we we hit the street, and I'm out, and I find a, a intoxicated driver, suspected intoxicated driver. Again, this is 1977, so this was back in the day of uh, you catch them, you clean them. Um, you don't call for help unless you need it. Right. Yeah. So, and uh, things were very, very different then. So I pull over this this driver, and I, I put him through the paces. And uh, I'm again, I'm 21. I'm just short of being 22 years old. You know, 155, 160 pounds. I'm pretty good shape. I'd been a lifeguard for a few years, and. Uh, so I pull over this guy. He's a heavy equipment operator. He's about seven years older than me and probably, I don't know, 40 pounds heavier, stocky, muscular guy. Anyway, um, put him through the DUI test and uh, go to arrest him, get one cuff on, and the fight is on. And we're rolling around, and I've got one cuff on, and uh, we're wrestling around, and I dislocate my shoulder. I don't know it. But all of a sudden, I'm not doing real well in this fight. I'm losing it. And uh, so we're rolling around pretty quick. I feel my gun come out of my holster oh, shit. and cock and feel it poking me in the back. And he says, you know what that is? I go, yeah. So the fight was over then, and I just started talking. And uh, he's holding the gun. He's standing. It's a 44 Magnum, and he's alternating between my chest and my face and he's standing like you know three feet from me two feet from me and um he wants his driver's license he wants his registration and all that stuff back and i'm thinking as soon as i give him that he's gonna think that he's home free and there's no reason not to kill me 
So he's got one handcuff hanging off his his uh, wrist, and he says, "Give me the keys of the handcuffs." So I throw the keys on the ground, and when he bends over to pick them up, I take off, and I'm and I remembered in the academy, run in a zigzag fashion, and I actually did, and I run down this dark thing between these uh, apartments, and there's a six foot cinder block wall. I didn't know it at the time, but I dislocated my shoulder. Um, it didn't matter. I went over that six foot wall with a dislocated shoulder, came up on the other side, saw the guy driving off, um, ran back to my car, and there's my pistol laying on the hood of the car. So I pick it up, it's cocked, and it goes off. No fuck. <laughs> yeah. I shoot a stop sign. <laughs> stop signs right there i shoot the stop sign and i am uh you know I'm, one i'm scared to death because now i think i've really screwed up because now i shot a stop sign and i'm i didn't think anything about the other stuff but i'm i'm sweaty uh, you know scared and so i put out and, and by then somebody else had already called in a an officer needs help call so my best friend, it was his birthday. He's, he's coming down from up, up on top of uh, the hill and driving 110 miles an hour thinking that I'd got, just gotten killed. And I, I'm, I'm chattering away on the, on the radio, get, putting out a description and doing this and doing that. And, um, you know, people are coming from all over. Anyway, long story short, <clears throat> I did have a dislocated shoulder. I was off for a while. And uh, they caught the guy. He went to prison for, for five years. And he was a, a pain in the butt for those guys for the rest of my friend's career. And he said, you know, I was always hoping we'd get a chance to shoot that guy. And we never did. He'd never, he never went that far. And, uh, well, that was that, that was probably the most, most exciting time I had down in Southern California as Holy a cop. Oh shit. I've never heard that story. Yeah. You probably don't tell that one very often. Hmm? You probably don't tell that one very often. Not a lot. I still have the recording. I have the recording of the radio traffic. No kidding. Yeah, and the the whole bit. Really? Yeah. But uh, we should. Uh, I should come back out here with the recorder. Yeah. We'll uh, make you a copy we'll, of it. I we'll probably drop it. We'll I could probably it send it to you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We'll we'll attach it to this. Yeah, that was a that was an exciting day. But uh, do you have any other pursuit? Um, <laughs> audio um no i don't think i have any of those i do have a really funny pursuit story though working day shift in the summertime and uh i see a a white bronco just like oj's bronco and it comes back stolen <clears throat> and of course off he goes and where i worked everybody all the car thieves or all the people he got pursuits in, they always seemed to go up to the same places, yeah. up into the hills. And it was like, they all knew that's where my, to go. My first pursuit went up there. Yeah, they all go up there. Yeah. It's, they're like lemmings. It's that, That's where they all, <laughs> <laughs> that's where they head. So, so I'm chasing this Bronco, and a, another guy gets in behind me. So we're chasing it together. And <laughs> it goes up the windy road. And of course, being a big old boxy Bronco, eventually he misjudges a curve and it rolls off on the inside on its side, on the on the passenger side. So the driver's hanging there. As luck would have it, the engine compartment catches fire. <laughs> so I, I pop the trunk and I'm thinking, oh, not only am I gonna catch a, a vehicle thief, 
maybe I'll get a life-saving medal too for pulling him out of this burning car. <laughs> so I grabbed the, we had these big fire extinguishers in the trunk and I pull the pin and me and the other guy, we jump up on the, on the side of this Bronco and uh, can't get the door open. So the, the other officer pulls out his baton says here stand back I'll, i'm gonna break the glass so he whacks the window it just bounces off so i said well here i got this heavy fire extinguisher and it's got the big nozzle on it <laughs> <laughs> i said i'll break it with this and in the meantime the guy he's he's getting kind of scared he's pounding on the glass and stuff he wants out because the engine's burning <laughs> so so i i do this you almost have to visualize it in slow motion this, this heavy canister of, uh, of fire extinguishers coming down, my hands on the, on the, the trigger <laughs> and the nozzles coming up. <laughs> and as soon as it hits, my hand compresses it and it shoots, it discharges the white powder into my face underneath my glasses. So my glasses are dark, my face is white. I look like Marcel Marceau, the, the mime. <laughs> I've got this face full of powder. It's in my mouth. It's up my nose, and uh, so I'm I'm sputtering. There's there's powder coming out my nose. It's spitting it up. And Rich, he's laugh. He's on his hands and knees laughing now. And this poor guy is in the car burning. The car's burning, and he's going, "Would you guys quit screwing around and get me out of here?" <laughs> so anyway, we ended up getting him out. And uh, wearing a dark blue uniform with white uh, fire extinguisher powder all over it. So I, I clean it off as well as I can. And I have him in the back seat of the car driving him to jail. <clears throat> and I, I pull up just outside the jail before we turn in. And I turn around and I said, not a word. <laughs> and he says, okay. As far as I know, he never said a word, but booked him into the jail. But... Uh, we still laugh about that. Oh, God, that was funny. It would have been funny if it had been somebody else. But. <laughs> God, there's so many, like, I, uh, like there's so many stories that you guys have told and that I have heard and all the shit that happened before, you know, that I got there. It's just like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I've always said there's some things that you do and you don't talk about. There's some things you talk about that you never do. <laughs> <laughs> so. so you go from patrol to to you get promoted actually let's talk about working dope oh okay yeah um because i mean you worked with guys that for me were like suddenly they're they're, they're like legendary they're from other departments <laughs> yeah too, right? well, like they're from other agencies yeah but, but I mean, we talked with Kurt. And, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It, it was it was a great time. Um, and, and and so for people that, that don't know, the time that you did that you did work it, like you seized all the shit you seized. Like the department eventually could, it was theirs, right? So like cash. Yeah, there cars, were um, and boats and stuff. Like forfeiture that. laws at the right. time that um, you could seize it and then it would go through a process. And then it would be sold and the assets could go right back into part of the law was that it had to go back into drug enforcement. So it was paying for a lot of our training, a lot of our equipment, things like that. So it was it was a really a, 
a good time to be working drugs. And the, the, the old saying back then was, and I think it's probably still true today, was um, the people, the only people that really care about drug work are drug cops. <laughs> well, so you, what were the years that you worked? Uh, 89 to 91. I mean, and those were like, I mean, that those were the years like 89 probably, but maybe like right before that, like that's when Miami Vice was on TV. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's departments were using that for, you know, to fund certain things. I mean, oh, that yeah. was my, that was my impression. Cause there were a couple of guys working dope in my dad's agency and they had, you know, like a two person dope team, like, our, our place did. Yeah. And then, of course, there was the interagency thing that you worked for. I was on the interagency team, and, you know, all, all that, those seizures and stuff, they, they went into to funding us to go to conferences, to, to trainings. Uh, this was during the, the, the bubbling hot meth labs back when things were made with, you know, methyl ethyl bad shit and triple neck beakers and all this kind of stuff it wasn't like the the stuff that developed later with you know coffee pot meth where they were making it with yeah Yeah, these are p2p labs this is the stuff that you know people were getting cancer from later on um i did my best as well as a couple other guys to stay the hell out of the meth labs whenever i could we wore those tyvek suits that were made of paper you know they didn't do didn't do you a hell of a lot of good. Right. But I, I just intuitively knew this stuff's not good for you. I, I tried to stay out of it. I tried to work Mexican cocaine dealers if I could or heroin well, dealers. Didn't two guys ultimately like get cancer from working labs? I think so. I think there were at least two. Um, you know, I didn't. I had, a, I had another guy that, you know, was kind of breaking me in. He says, hey, if you don't have to go into them, don't go in them. Those things are bad. And I, I, I took that advice. I went into a few. I, I I never liked them. I never liked doing that. Um, but yeah, those were those were interesting times um, <laughs> when uh, I ended up with my San Diego background. Um, I believe it or not, I was the guy that they leaned on for Spanish for interpret interpreting and and. I called it Taco Bell Spanish. I mean, I, I knew a few phrases that would get us by. And so I was the guy when we'd have to deal with, you know, with the, the Mexican stuff to, had to teach people what to say when we ran through the door, you know, manos arribas kind of thing. And, uh, so I, I wanted to have fun with it one time and it was, it was my warrant. So if, if things went sideways, it was going to be my fault anyway. <clears throat> so I told the guys, when we go in, whoever goes in first, I'd want you all to yell, no le gusta langosta. <laughs> <laughs> so they did. And we all run in and we're yelling, no le gusta langosta. And so... I thought it was kind of funny. It it confused the hell out of the the suspects because they didn't know what that what we were saying, <clears throat> and sometimes it just bought you an extra couple of seconds where they're going, what? <laughs> and it gives you time to get in there. They don't have time to flush the dope or throw it out the window or eat it. So so I'm I'm talking to the guy, and he says, hey, 
I just got to know. I said, what? He goes, why were you guys yelling, I don't like lobster, when you came through the door? <laughs> he goes, you're all yelling, I don't like lobster, I don't like lobster. <laughs> I said, it worked. The Snitch Podcast is dedicated to preserving the verbal stories of modern-day police officers, your lives in your own words. If you are interested in being a part of this multimedia project, please contact us at thesnitchpodcast at gmail.com.